0: The opinions expressed on Tomahawk Talk do not represent that of WVFS Tallahassee.
1: Well, it is a good evening to you and how you be William Haynes here you are there at seven o'clock on this Monday night you're listening to Tomahawk talk on WVFS Tallahassee 89.7 FM the voice of Florida State and as well a reminder to follow us on social media at V89 sports on Instagram and on Twitter get some cool content from us get some updates about the show. As well, and and speaking of which, we are back live for the first time in a couple weeks. Last week, uh, we did a rerun of the previous week, which was the show that we did about uh, conference realignment and everything surrounding the move uh, with USC and UCLA uh, moving from the Pac-12 to the Big Ten. But, of course, I don't have to tell you that because you listened to it, presumably, for the past couple weeks. We did not have a podcast upload last week either. But we are back in full form, uh, and we will be for, presumably, uh, the entire future indefinitely uh, moving forward. So good to be back. And uh, it'll be uh, the crew that I'm about to announce for the first half. We've got some great FSU news. And then it'll be myself and Max Rundy, who you've heard a couple of times this summer, uh, just me and him talking baseball for the second half. Uh, But without further ado, introducing the crew to start tonight, my co-host Jackson Bakich. Great to be with you once again after a a bit of an absence. And we were talking this week, and uh, I would love to announce to the world that you – jackson
2: bakich have sold your first car Woo! thank you thank you i uh yeah it was it was a unique experience it was a uh just i don't know how experience i think is the best way to put it um you think you're you're good at something until you have to do it for the first time and uh you get kind of thrown into the fire and Thankfully, it was able to go well, and you know I'm still trying every day to sell as many as I can. So, oh, by the way, shameless plug, if you're in the Central Florida area and uh, you're looking to buy a car, uh, San Baswell Buick GMC on Highway 441 in Mount Dora, Florida. It used to be Danny Lynn, and uh, yeah, my, my dad runs it. He's the GM there, and uh, still a family-owned business, and we'd love to earn it. You sent this
1: to me a couple of months ago, the, uh, the commercial that Gene Decker opted for that dealership. We should really put that out on the socials. Cause that, uh, is a great one. Let me ask what, uh, what vehicle was it?
2: The one that you'll remember forever. It was a 2020 1500 GMC Denali. Uh, nice, nice, beautiful truck, uh, black, uh, nice interior leather, high led lights, uh, just a gorgeous truck. I was really happy for the guy that was, uh, Able to snag his hands on it. They use the the car market in general. I'm I don't know uh, if y'all are aware, but there's a chip shortage due to the supply chain issue, so uh, cars are priced at the wazoo right now. So it's a uh, it's hard for people to get. It's hard mostly because it's hard for people to get inventory. So prices are they're interesting to say the least. So uh, not to bore you all with that, but it's a it's a it's a it's a weird time in the car business.
1: Well, of course. I mean, I imagine buying a car for me it sounds like a fairy tale ending for a very satisfied uh, customer. Next up, our producer Jack Oliaro joining us on the show. And Jack, uh, have you sold any cars this summer?
0: Uh, big fat zero over here. Sorry, um, not repping uh, Orange County very well. That, that is a one-nil score to uh, Lake County. But uh, no, I've been I've been doing good. Uh, I actually just went out to Cape Canaveral earlier today. Put the boat in the water. Uh, looking out in Cape Canaveral, it's a beautiful part of a uh, beautiful part of there. So, yeah, I'm just happy to be back here. Well,
1: I'm doing well. Also, thank you guys for asking me how I'm doing. Uh, I took a, a bit of a trip last week, went to Kansas City, went to St. Louis with my dad, checking off a lot of the Major League Baseball stadiums. And I'm pleased to announce Bush Stadium, where the St. Louis Cardinals call home, is in at, at the very least of the top five of my Major League Baseball stadiums, a, a big old school kind of cathedral style uh stadium and they had you know 40,000 plus at the games we were at great environment in Kauffman Stadium and KC not bad either so uh watching baseball during the summertime uh that that's really as good as it can get and that'll kind of segue us into kind of the meat portion of our show and and that's to say that uh in mid-July we are kind of in the dead period of the sports world Major League Baseball is the only actual active sport that is going right now playing games NBA free agency has been taking place I know The NHL offseason has started uh, with the draft and a bunch of trades uh, and whatnot. But as far as actual games to talk about, there's not much. So we're going to spend the first half of this week talking about Florida State and updating uh, all of you, the listener, on what's been going on. So uh, we'll get right into it in in the newest piece of news, which is uh, the defending national champion uh, FSU women's soccer team. Their schedule for 2022 is out. They'll play 16 games beginning on August 18th versus the University of South Carolina. And uh, that August 18th date is the first uh, FSU athletic event on uh, the academic calendar year. The first four games, it's going to be against SEC opponents. So Brian Penske, the new head coach uh, coming from Tennessee, he's going to uh, spend his first four games as a seminal against some familiar foes. Uh, they'll, they'll go to Gainesville to play the University of Florida on September 4th, their home opener is August 25th against Auburn. Uh, and then, of course, you have the, the 10 ACC schedule, five home, five away. Their five home opponents in conference play, Louisville, Clemson, Virginia Tech, and then the, the, the two uh, big boys in Duke and UNC that were in the top five for pretty much all of last year. And you get both of those games at home, which I think is good. And, and then you'll have the ACC tournament beginning on October 30th and and you know postseason play will go from there and uh something that stood out to me only one game at home it takes place on a Sunday afternoon you know usually they play a, a, a Wednesday or Thursday game and then a Sunday game and uh that, that's tough during the NFL season we got football on Sunday afternoon so uh Tallahassee fans will not have to compete uh, too much it's just that Clemson game on a Sunday afternoon and I'll, I'll just throw this out to you guys anything you take away from the schedule this is uh, they'll be defending their crown, their third national championship. And, uh, you know, it should be another good season. Uh, certainly the favorites in the ACC, but some pretty good non-conference games
0: on the road as well. I think they started off, um, you know, it's good for a coach coming from the SEC to warm himself back up with some SEC play. Um, the first half that schedule, the first, uh, eight or so games is going to be all, um, there's only three home games. There's going to be a lot of road trips for the Knowles. But that does mean towards the end of the season, there's going to be a lot of, lot of home games, which will be nice. Uh, the two juggernauts that you mentioned, Duke and UNC, both at home, those will be big as in um, most of the games FSU won last year. They lost to Duke their only regular season loss, and UNC they drew with, along with Virginia. So having those games at home is going to be certainly helpful. Having no rivalry games at home really besides Clemson will be interesting. Usually we, last year we had Miami and Florida uh, at home, and those were great atmospheres and great wins for the Knolls. Looks pretty decent off the start.
1: Yeah, we've got our early fall sports lined up. Volleyball, the schedule came out a couple weeks ago. They'll start uh, August 26th, the day before the Duquesne game. Uh, They'll be in Cincinnati for a weekend tournament, so uh, it's it's exciting that we're, you know, about five, six weeks away from some actual sports and, and some games to watch here on campus, so um, that will be uh, exciting as we look ahead to that. And then the other piece of FSU actual tangible news that we have is uh, the, the baseball uh, staff, coaching staff has been finalized and, and Link Jarrett coming over from Notre Dame was able to pull his top two assistants from South Bend, which was pretty big because Link Jarrett was only there for three years and Notre Dame had some pretty good assistants and he was able to bring them both to Tallahassee, the pitching coach, Chuck Ristano, uh, very well-known, 18 years coaching the Division One level, the last 12 at Notre Dame. His resume is as follows, 36 players drafted into Major League Baseball, nine of which made it to the big leagues. And at the college level, he coached 26 All-Americans and 47 All-Conference players, five Conference Pitcher of the Year, and four Conference Rookie of the Years. So uh, a guy that that's got everything that you'd want. He's got the experience. He's got the credentials. Uh, all of all of which he's bringing, and and I know pitching was something that that drove a lot of people mad in Tallahassee with all the walks, and it seemed like undisciplined at times for some really big names and some really highly tattered recruits that were wearing the garnet and gold. Uh, this past spring. So uh, the, maybe the first step in turning that around and out of all the things that link Jared said, and on and, uh, and that was in the uh, FSU press release about pitching coach, Chuck Ristano, we talked about Ristano using the modern technology, all the analytics that you see um, in the big leagues, but at all levels now with uh, the, you know, the camera work, as far as the delivery and the mechanics and uh, all of which. So Ristano is, uh, he is, he is uh, with, with the cool kids, he knows all about it, and that, and that should be good. And unselfish, coaching an unselfish pitching staff uh, is something that Link Jarrett came back to. So I thought that was an interesting way to describe a position group, but I think something that uh, c- could do the team quite a bit of favors. And then the recruiting coordinator, Rich Wallace, uh, played and spent some time at the University of Central Florida and was an associate head coach a, a few years ago at Jacksonville uh, university so he's got some great uh, local ties in Florida for recruiting um, and uh, Chip Baker the director of baseball operations has been there forever uh, Arya Masuti you know a uh, friend of the program uh, has all, all kinds of great things to say he calls games with Chip Baker um, so he's the, the main kind of guy that stayed from the previous staff and Link Jar bringing uh, some new guys in so guys what do you think I, I think it's great hires and I think should be headed in the in the right
2: direction Well, um, it's very important for coaches to get their guys. Uh, You know, if you kind of take a look at football and um, when coaches kind of have to scramble and kind of get an assistant that they're not too fond with, it can kind of derail. It can kind of cause uh, problems behind the scenes of, you know, disagreements on how to approach certain, uh, certain events. During a game, and it's the same exact thing in baseball. If you have two different philosophies when it comes to, you know, to substitutions or lefty-righty or whatever it may be, um, for Jarrett to be able to get his guys uh, is absolutely crucial.
1: Yeah, I I think that that is an interesting point. And uh, there is going to be a philosophy change, Link Jarrett. I mean, as soon as day one, when he got in that building, he's talking about, um, you know, the, the style of out, play in the outfield that he wants, that he wants them to be aggressive in, in a style of play that can maybe take away base hits. And uh, the, the the pitching philosophy was something that we questioned at times with Mike Martin Jr., some of the moves out of the bullpen, some guys that maybe he sticked with a little too long and uh, how some of those starters were used. So you get kind of a complete overhaul in the names and some guys that are very proven and have done it for a very long time. And uh, at the very least, the fans, the boosters, everyone is pleased with the moves that have been made. And and now they have a chance uh, next spring to go prove it on the field. So uh, we highly anticipate getting to see that. But now we have um, segue over to some football news uh, in the recruiting realm, some 2023 stuff. We'll start with that uh, before kind of circling over to, to what they have in 2022 enrollees, but uh, this, this past week, I think just a couple of days ago, quarterback, Chris Parsons from Tennessee announced he was decommitting from Florida state. Uh, he said in a statement that, you know, he grew up a, a fan of Florida state. He was really committed. He liked, uh, really loved, uh, what, what Norvell had been preaching during his visits and everything that he saw the vision and wanted to be a part of it. Parsons, the 16th ranked quarterback nationally. And he committed in late July of 2021. So he's been committed for about a full calendar year. And um, in a statement, he just said he didn't believe FSU suits the best interest of his career. Speculations was made that maybe he wasn't a fan of having to compete with some other quarterbacks, Florida States targeting in the next class, um, which the, the, the main name of which would be uh, Brock Glenn, the number 11 quarterback nationally, who uh, a lot of people believe uh, is going to be going to FSU. So Guys, this was some, uh, some big news. Parsons, a big name had been committed for a while. I guess a guy that maybe this staff saw that uh, a great quarterback in their back pocket, but now uh, he's going to be looking at his options and,
2: and going elsewhere. Yeah. And, um, William, you and I talked about this uh, a little before the show about, you know, guys, whether they want to compete or not. Um, especially I think NIL is a great representative of how college football is um, becoming a business. Not that it never was, but it's becoming a business more and more in front of our very eyes. Uh, It seems like almost every day Um, guys are going to put themselves in the best position to succeed and succeed immediately um, to get as much game experience as possible. And, uh, can you fault them really for it? I mean, I, I, I understand the mantra of, you know, you know, these guys are afraid of, of, um, competition. They're, they're afraid of, you know, having to earn something. And it, it's, it's really not that, I mean, when you have millions of dollars on the line, when you have your own, um, when you have your own development at stake, uh, when you're, you know, trying to put food on your, on your future kids', clo- uh, future kids backs, um, food on the table and clothes on the backs, excuse me. Um, that's important, you know, and uh, you have to take that into account. And so I, I completely understand, you know, people choosing what's
0: right for them. And to sort of go off of that a little bit, it is a little difficult to see somebody who was a null fan go the other way and uh it looks like uh all the um crystal balls are leading them towards mississippi state um it could be more of a transition to, we could expand it to something along the lines of college football as a whole and maybe a uh you know perhaps a look at the acc and versus sec but maybe that's gone a little bit too far looking at it and uh perhaps looking a little too optimistic but brock glenn is asserting sir i wow say that five times faster is going to be a hell of a quarterback if Florida State can land him. He, they are currently in composition with um, Auburn and Ohio State and a little bit from TC and LSU. But that would be a huge landing for them to really build up what is a pretty – not weak, but just lack of lack of equipment in the uh, quarterback room at the moment.
1: Continuing with, with what you said, Jackson, about really any position, but, but maybe quarterbacks in particular because – kind of they're the highest of note and there's only one of them that can start at one time it's not like offensive linemen where you got a couple other guys you can beat out you're either the guy or you're not and this is a lot different world in college football than it was even 10 years ago where uh, you couldn't if you transferred from a school if if you didn't like your situation you wanted to go elsewhere you had to sit out a year you would lose a a year of eligibility and even then it wasn't a guarantee that you're going to play just because the school sells you on playing time doesn't mean you're going to get it and nowadays you can go wherever you want, whenever you want. The schools are, you know, not not all in favor of it, but but they're willing to to accommodate your needs. That, you know, if you tell Florida State you want out, they're gonna uh, move you elsewhere. We've seen that under Mike Norvell already, um, and and also the money is another part of it. If you're a quarterback and you're not starting, those NIL checks, those 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 cars uh, that you might be getting from the local dealership aren't coming your way, and. And so it's, as you mentioned, for, you know, your future family, whatever, hundreds of thousands, millions, and then NFL and and so forth, you got to start and you got to start as soon as you can. And if Parsons didn't feel like he wanted to compete and he wants to go somewhere where he can be the top dog, that that seems to be my read on the situation. And uh, Brock Glenn, I was kind of interested when I went to read about him and find out all I saw was Auburn message boards he Brock Glenn was Auburn's top dog and, and kind of going off of what Jack said about maybe where Florida state. And if you want to reflect that on the conference as well, it looks like, you know, we're now we're close to, to the finish line, but it looks like Florida state's beating out Auburn for, for a four-star quarterback, which I, I think is nothing to sneeze at. That's a pretty big deal. And um, maybe, maybe to, to go to the next phase of this conversation, if you want to compare Glenn to Parsons, Glenn is ranked higher nationally, five spots above, I don't know if anyone takes that to mean much 11 to 16 is is not much of a drop, but I was watching a little bit of film, not a ton of film, just a little bit of highlights. And what I liked about Brock Glenn was a guy that stays in the pocket, but moves up in the pocket. Well, um, and then some really strong throws even to the sidelines and up the seams. What I saw on tape was something that is that's, that's what, that is reflective of what Mike Norvell wants to do. I saw a guy that could play in kind of that Memphis offense that Norvell ran. When I was looking at Chris Parsons highlights, I mean, he had all the time in the world, a great offensive line, but kind of scrambling around, improvising, and just kind of chucking the ball up deep. And and what it kind of reminded me of is what we've had to watch way too much the last couple of years with, with what Jordan Travis has been forced to do. So just from what I saw, I, I thought that Brock Glenn, uh, if we can get him in is probably a better fit.
2: And especially with the offensive line that uh, Alex Atkins is attempting to put together, uh, Brock Glenn should have a much better offensive line. He shouldn't have to be scrambling. He shouldn't have to, uh, you shouldn't have to improvise, but, you know, should is a lot different than will or, um, but I I do want to uh, take a step back to what I was saying earlier. Just, I just want to go back real quick. Um, If, you know, if a new recruit comes in and um, like, let's say you've started for a year as a quarterback and a new recruit comes in, and you, you transfer because a new recruit comes in, that's scared of competition. Would y'all agree? I would agree with that. Yeah. Okay. But sorry, I yeah, I had to get that off my chest. But um <laughs> but yeah, I, I think once Norvell finally gets his guys and, and, and he he is doing a very good job of doing the best he can with what he has while also slowly transforming the offense and what, into what he wants.
1: I've been impressed with Norvell. He hasn't tried to push anything. Um, so many times in today's, today's game, you see it in the NFL sometimes, but at the college level um, where coaches come in and immediately They just want to find players that can fit their system. Day one, they want to install all their stuff because that's, you know, if your name is on the product, you you want it to be yours and coaches fall into that trap. Norvell is, is, has done the best job of this. Since I can really remember where for, for the first two years of his tenure and we'll see for year number three, what the offense is going to be or not. But he said, screw this Memphis offense. It it works. It's what I want to do at the end of the day, but the personnel I have doesn't fit it. He didn't try to force it. He pretty much created a whole new offense on the fly. A lot of, you know, run-based attack. Uh, They've done some creative stuff with Jordan Travis to get him out of the pocket because they didn't have a line that could protect him. A lot of underneath shallow passing routes um, versus what he wants to do, which is more vertical attack down the field, but they just didn't have the guys to do it. And, um, the offensive line is a slow burn. That is a long process uh, to do, but Brock Len, a 2023 commit, if he's enrolled, I don't think he's going to play right away, as we'll talk about in a minute. Um, so you're talking maybe playing as early as 2024. You can see uh, Atkins has brought in almost 10 offensive linemen this year alone uh, to come in and compete. So I think, Uh, that's the vision by 2024. You're going to have the line. You're going to have the offense where Brock Glenn can play in and be himself and succeed, which I think is exciting.
0: And to uh, actually expand a little bit further uh, looking at potentially uh, whoever our quarterback is the the weapons uh, there's been a couple offers on the table. And if there's, well, there's highly unlikely that uh, FSU can land them. There are some pretty good ones if they can Uh, Shelton Sampson out of Baton Rouge, who is currently crystal balled to LSU, made an official visit uh, to FSU in June, and we're told things went very, very well. Uh, LSU still seems like the most likely destination given that he lives in Baton Rouge, but if it decides to shock some people, uh, the word is Alabama and FSU would be in the wings for that selection and it would be a huge pickup uh, as he is a five-star 98.54 rating, 30th nationally, fifth in his position. Uh, Again, a massive pickup and another five-star but the only issue is, is that we've fallen in this trap before where uh, Jalen Brown, another five star wideout, chose LSU over FSU and his, over his local Miami Hurricanes. So it wouldn't be surprising if Brian Kelly adds another a, a weapon to his attack. But if and just if they can land someone like that, uh, that would be again huge to uh, expand upon uh, the passing game. Along with him, uh, same deal with Hakeem Williams, guy out of Fort Lauderdale, currently Crystal Ball to Texas AM. Him and my, them in Miami are currently competing. For him at the moment, uh, he came. To, he's coming to Tallahassee for a recruiting event at the end of the month. Uh, those who are pulling him. Uh, come. Those who are pulling him to come to Florida State. Uh, his high school teammate and linebacker for Florida State, uh, Omar Graham Jr., and receivers coach Don Ron Dugans. Uh, judging how the recruiting event goes, it could pull him in favor of the Knowles, And again, just as unlikely, but a long shot, but maybe just as impactful. Those-
1: I, I, th- I think it's good uh, to, to, I mean, there's no question. It's good to be in a conversation with those top players nationally, those five stars. Uh, I know there was a, I think a defensive back about a week ago that had kind of dissed FSU publicly saying that, you know, he had been getting a lot of attention from FSU early and then he felt like they kind of iced him out and he wants to go somewhere else. I, my guess in reality was FSU. They needed to put the resources elsewhere. I mean, right now, the coaching staff has a losing record. There's not a lot of success. You're not going to beat out Alabama or LSU or a lot of those schools right now for those top guys in in the future. Certainly you want to be where you want to get, but um, right now, I also want to applaud just the strategy, the three, the three stars, the four stars that you can get, they are hammering those really well. I mean, they've got, they had a top 20 class nationally uh, for this past year. So uh, I, I think everything is moving in the right situation, but with Chris Parsons out of, of a commitment and Brock Glenn potentially soon to be in, I just wanted to, to, to talk real quick about the quarterback situation. Jordan Travis, we presume is going to be the starter on August 27th, I believe uh, against Duquesne. Um, he's got two more years of eligibility left. He had a red shirt year at Louisville and then the COVID year. So he could, he could play as many as I, I think what six years if he wants to. So um Uh, A.J. Duffy enrolled this year, but I don't think he's going to play right away. And then you have maybe Brock Glenn in 2023. So I I think um, even if you can't get two quarterbacks per class, it doesn't look like they're going to be able to do because Parsons doesn't want to compete or or whatever. Uh, I think you're still set up really well because you've got two years of Travis, then Duffy, then Glenn. So hopefully you get that kind of traditional. um, The veteran starts, the young guy sits, and they don't have to do all kinds of crazy stuff because they don't have anyone who can play.
2: Yeah, I would also add uh, Tate Rotemaker in that list. Um, Tate, I mean, he's a highly touted prospect. Uh, he has plenty of time to, to grow. Um, hasn't shown it. He hasn't shown his full potential. I think, um, you know, kind of thrown into the fire in that Jacksonville State game a couple of years ago in 2020. He um, a true freshman starting at Florida State. And Dope Campbell, That's that's got to be nerve-wracking uh, for anybody. Um, i so I throw him in there? I, I, I think it's going to be a pretty well-kept-up quarterback room. I think they're going to have some depth. Um, I think they're going to be pretty solid uh, in terms of, you know, because uh, when I was working for the team in 2020, uh, we went up to NC State, and we had a couple guys hurt, Jordan Travis. So that was the game that Cheva Purdy started. Um, so the three quarterbacks that we had – for that game was Chello Purdy, Tate Rodemaker, and Gino English. Gino English actually uh, dressed up for that road game, and he was on the active uh, player list. And so I don't think we're going to have that problem unless we have uh, some sort of massive change-up in the quarterback room. So uh, kudos to to Norvell and and that recruiting staff, and it it should be – it should be a time of more comfort in the quarterback room for the next few years.
0: I would like to throw this question out before uh, the half comes, but let's say Travis is hurt during a game or, um, or if he's out and if he's out for a game and we have to put someone in or if you have to put someone in, uh, are you leaning more towards Duffy or are you leaning towards more Rotomaker? Um, personally, myself, I-, I haven't seen
2: Duffy play enough. Um, I'm probably going Rotomaker. He's had game experience. He's had, uh, a lot more time under the Norvell offense, two years now. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, I feel like Norvell would probably pick Duffy just -hmm. because, you know, that's, that's his guy. That that's the guy that he's, he's kind of chosen that he's kind of given the nod to, uh, to be the next up and coming guy. Um, but if I had to play a game right now and choose between the two, I'd probably take Mm Rotomaker.
1: Yeah, I'm intrigued to see. Uh, I I, I tend to think that it it would be Duffy because of just what Jackson said, that it seems like he's kind of been dubbed as as the man. I would also agree with you guys that Rotomaker was dealt a really bad hand. I mean, in 2020 when he first played and then even in 2021, not some great situations for him. He wasn't playing in a good offense. Um, uh, Things could definitely change. He's got some experience and And maybe in fall camp, we'll see if he can emerge as the two. You know, if he can beat Duffy straight out of camp, I I think that would go a long way. But um, I think either way, when you have a conversation about depth and who's better, who's not, I mean, you're you're, you're set either way as far as who's going to be number two, uh, assuming Jordan Travis can continue to build on what he's been doing. But that'll wrap it up for the first half. After the break, it'll be myself and Max Rundy talking about all things in Major League Baseball. So make sure to stay where you are. Don't turn that dial. And we're back for half number two of Tomahawk Talk this week. And we are joined by Max Rundy, our very personal favorite media relations member of the Birmingham Barons. Max, how have you been?
3: It's been a very long couple of weeks here. Um, my coworker, who holds the same job, who split my hours with me, was let go. So I work all day, every day. It's double homestand, so two straight weeks of nonstop work for me. It's been a long week, but today's the final day, and it'll be my second-to-last homestand because I will be back in Tallahassee August 8th.
1: That sounds great, man. Yeah, maybe we can get you in studio that day. I think that'll be my first show back uh, in Tallahassee as well. But uh, I know we had talked a little bit just uh, over the course of the summer. Is there any any stories that are safe for air that you want to share uh, about your time over there?
3: Uh, I'll give you a little tidbit oh. about our Rays because we're currently playing the Montgomery Biscuits. A little bit of a one of those minor deals that the Rays always do, trade Joey Wendell in the offseason for a guy named Nico Holsizer. You know what Nico Holsizer did last night, William? What did he do? He hit a ball 469 feet, cleared the bullpen onto the concrete concourse Exit velo of 110. Oh, he's scary good. But the Barons are in first place out of nowhere after coming in last place in the first half.
1: I mean, are they going to be sending any kind of reinforcements to the White Sox? Because boy, do they need some help right now.
3: What they're going to do is they might trade some Barons for some White Sox.
1: <laughs> well, th- that's great. I, the Rays, I mean, the the ESOC Paredes trade, I mean, even Christian Bethencourt so far. I mean, names that m- maybe not everyone knows, but it's just every single year we are reminded do not do business with the Tampa Bay Rays because you're not going to come out on the winning end of it.
3: I talked to, um. there's been a scout here all week. I'm not sure if I'm supposed to say that, but there was a scout here all week and he was very surprised by Holsizer because he wasn't the biggest prospect ever, but the rumors around town say, he was someone that some of Marlins executives did not want to give up whatsoever. And some don't really think he's going to be much this week. He's hit two bombs. He's a decent outfielder. I see a place for him on the Tampa Bay Rays, as long as he can keep hitting.
1: That's interesting with all the injuries Tampa Bay has had. I wouldn't be surprised if we see him. And I think Joey Wendell last I saw, he was in AAA for, for Miami. So not even a guy that it looks like they're getting much out of. So. I don't know. the The Marlins have had some interesting moves over the yeah. past couple of years as they're trying to get back on the men. But um, as of right now in Major League Baseball, we this is uh, we're recording this on Sunday, right before the All Star break, so we're you know a little past the, the midway mark of the season. The big story right now, really a huge story, Juan Soto, the the 23 year old star of the Washington Nationals, uh, he has turned down yet another offer to stay in Washington. The Nats offered him 15 years. million would have been the biggest contract in baseball history if he had signed it, but he says, no thanks. And so now for the first time really ever, the Nationals are saying that they're open to dealing him. I mean, what an absurd story. I don't know how anyone could turn down that much money, but it looks like Soto is going to see how much he can get.
3: I think you see it today with Aaron Judge as well. These young guns are really believing in themselves, and Juan Soto is that guy. And if anything, he's having a down year so far, dealt with some issue or injury issues, but I think he made the right decision. Who wants to be a national for 15 years?
1: That was maybe my takeaway too, because I mean, it's hard to say that he's turning it down for the money. Uh, the average annual value would have been just over 29 million, which is only ranks 15th among 2022 salaries. So he's not even getting paid in the top 10, but to me, that doesn't even matter. If, you, if you're if you guaranteed that much money, uh, the average value doesn't really matter to me. So that, that was my read on it as well. It was like, this guy does not want to stay there, and maybe he doesn't see the vision or he wants to play in a bigger market. I, I mean, I, it's I crazy.
3: Whole, I think this whole mega contract era that we're currently in is problematic for countless reasons, but the biggest being – you sure when it comes to the family logistics and just the life side of being a baseball player and having to deal with trades and free agency signing a 15-year deal is nice in that sense getting guaranteed money is nice in that sense but 15 years locked into the same spot you're putting yourself in Mike Trout territory oblivion someone who may never never make a world series simply because he signed that deal I I think um I'll tell you this. Where do you think he's going to go? Because yesterday before the rumor came out, I was like, this man has to be a Padre. And I hope it happens.
1: That's, that's another part of the story that I find interesting because it's, uh, you, a lot of times if a guy has like half a season on his contract, the only teams that are going to trade for him are guys that can resign him. But Juan Soto has basically two and a half more years of team control at an affordable rate. Whatever team trades for him doesn't necessarily have to resign him. I mean, the Yankees, uh, the Dodgers, uh, the Padres would be really interesting. I know even Rays fans are, are, you know, pounding the, the door on Tropicana field to get him in there. He could go anywhere.
3: I think there's no better fit. And if you have to make one move right now to put the Padres on the same level as the Dodgers, it's Juan Soto. I mean, that tandem of Fernando Tatis against your left-handed pitchers and then Soto against your righties like this. That's a dynamic duo of all dynamic duos. I mean, that's up there with uh, Mookie Betts followed by Freddie Freeman. That's up there with I don't even know. There's that might be the best tandem ever at least recently uh, that comes to mind if they can really land that and the thing about the Padres is they have countless assets they got Blake Snell is a trade piece former Ray they got uh what's their shortstops name that is kind of underperforming
1: Cronenworth
3: no the other one not
1: former Ray also um is Profar still there in San Diego
3: yeah Profar they've kind of made him into an outfielder I've seen though which is interesting um all I know is the Padres have a lot of top prospects still, and you're going to need a lot of top prospects to get Soto.
1: Yeah, yeah, because that, that's the thing about the Nationals is, I mean, they are in a full-blown rebuild. They traded Scherzer. They traded Trey Turner. It looks like I, I think the Nationals would be smartest to trade Soto now because of what I mentioned, that he, this, is, this is when he's going to be most valuable because of the control on his contract. This is when you're going to get the most for So a trade deadline, that didn't have much buzz. I mean, Andrew Benatendi was at the top of a lot of people's lists. Now you have, I mean, a generational star, maybe a top five, top three player in baseball today uh, could be potentially on the move. I can't wait to see where it ends up.
3: I'll tell you this. The MLB trade deadline is unparalleled. There are not always the biggest storyline, but it always comes through with some crazy deals that nobody sees coming. And I cannot be more excited for it.
1: I would love to see a, a small market team just back the truck up to, to get him and, and try and go on a World Series run. Whether that be the Rays, whether that be a team like the Padres. I mean, who knows, you know, even the Cardinals. Any any Every and all teams are in on this. And uh, yeah, you mentioned Freddie Freeman just a moment ago. And I want to segue into this. This has been an incredibly interesting story uh, to take you way back to last October when when Freeman helped. Uh, his Atlanta Braves capture, you know, their first world series in, in quite a while. And it was a, a fairy tale ending. And, and the, the question was, where's, where's he going to go? Is he going to stay in Atlanta? There was no question in anyone's mind that he wanted to stay in Atlanta, but it was going to be if the Braves could pony up the money. And initially we thought that was not the case. He ends up signing uh, with the Dodgers for six years and 162 million. And then this season, he goes back to Atlanta as a Dodger. He's crying on the field. I think he was crying during his at-bat, getting the standing ovation from the crowd all weekend long. And then because he was talking to some of his old Atlanta buddies, the story got around and reported by Doug Gottlieb that uh, Freddie Freeman's agent apparently did not disclose the Braves' final offer, basically trying to get him to go with the Dodgers. And it really doesn't seem like Freddie Freeman wants to be a Dodger. I think it's clear he wants to be a Brave and now uh, we all know that he really should have stayed in Atlanta, and now it's it's kind of a strange sitting duck situation.
3: I think the uh, interesting part about this story for me is how respected this agent is. This is Derek Jeter's former agent. This is a highly touted agent that kind of out of nowhere pulled a low-ball move, and whether it's true or not, whether he fully disclosed all the information It's up in the air. Nobody truly can say for sure, but there's no doubt about it. Even with less money, Freddie Freeman would have signed that contract because I've heard it would have been in the ballpark of what he's getting from the Dodgers. And he would have taken a little bit of a pay cut to stay with that team because we had this argument the other day. How long does it take you when it comes to franchises and where you live? How long do you think it takes you to have a new home per se? Because Everyone's like, oh, he's going home to L.A. That's a bunch of load. He's a Atlanta Brave. That is his home. And I can promise you he will be an Atlanta Brave again.
1: So you think the Dodgers are going to trade him over?
3: I think he'll force his way out. I I think he might get a ring with the Dodgers, whether that be this year or later. Within the next five years, he's not going to finish this contract. Within the next five years, he will be back on the Braves full-time DH or third baseman because Matt Olson is a good player. Love – I've never seen a team recover as well as the uh, Braves did with that, losing their franchise face and just like, oh, yeah, we'll just take Matt Olson who's amazing.
1: <laughs> yeah, An- Anthopolis, the, the general manager of the Braves, he, it's, it's a masterclass the last couple of years of what he's done, and that was the thing. As soon as they figured out that, that Freeman – they were they were going to get outbid for him. They traded uh, for for Matt Olson from Oakland and immediately gave him uh, you know over a hundred million dollars. I think over eight years was the contract. So they they've got their first baseman for now. It's the, the media kind of played Freeman to the Dodgers as as you said, Max. He's going home. I think his dad lives there and can watch him play more in Dodger Stadium. But I mean. I can't remember the last time a guy was that emotional in a homecoming to his old team. It's so clear that he's not over the Braves, that he very much still wants to be there. And that's a that's a weird situation when you've got five and a half more years under contract for a team that you don't really want to be playing for. So Dodgers fans, I think, have kind of already turned on him. That you know, if their attitude is if you don't want to play here, get out. And I, I could definitely see him forcing his way out, as you said. And and just the last kind of note. Uh, the, the agent Casey Close that you mentioned is, is so highly regarded. He's done it for over 30 years. He's suing Doug Gottlieb for for defamation essentially and, and so it looks like they're probably going to go to court. I wonder uh, if the close has to like put anything on the table to, to prove his innocence in this if we'll we'll get some more information out of it. but just uh, Major League Baseball has a history of, of being in the courtroom and some interesting stuff coming out and I, I think this could maybe be uh, another chapter in that. Um, But then another big uh, story in Major League Baseball since last time we talked, three different managers have been fired. Joe Girardi of the Phillies went first, then Joe Madden of the Angels, and just a few days ago, Charlie Montoyo of the Blue Jays. I want to get into all three of these, but I guess I'll throw it out to you, Max, which one you want to start with because they're all teams that had high expectations and they're all kind of falling flat or or short of what they wanted.
3: I think um, there's no better place to start than former – Montgomery Biscuit manager, former Durham Bulls winner championship winner, and most recently Toronto Blue Jays manager Charlie Montoyo. I did not expect this. I really didn't. I had heard after the after the fact that this was a rumor that he might just be a placeholder coach, but I think he's a great coach, and I think he will have a job again next year. I just, yes, the Blue Jays were underperforming, but I don't think this is a manager problem. I think this is a – we spent so much money, so we think we're good, but we're really not that good yet. Give them a year or so, maybe add a pitcher or two. They're right there. They have the best bats, you could argue. But I don't think the roster was fully there. We've talked a lot about this before in the preseason, during the season. I just think um he's being a fall guy when he doesn't deserve it. Now, Joe Madden probably deserved it. Joe Girardi, probably deserved. But Montoya, I don't get. I really don't.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of with you. I think a lot of people are in agreement that it was a, a scapegoat move, that Toronto needed someone to fall, someone to blame, and so they they cut the manager. I guess they feel like whoever they've got that they promoted from within is going to do just as good of a job. But I, I liked what Montoya was doing. The The win-loss record – i think it's under what it should have been with the the kind of roster they have but he kind of reminded me of an alex Cora um you know a younger guy that the players really loved and i think just kind of was he kind of just looks like another player in the dugout and and that kind of energy that they have up there with all the young kids um so i think breaking that up is is a little strange i wonder what kind of manager they're gonna look to get um next off season because they're they're in the midst of a wild card race right now themselves so uh, that 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 chapter is still being written, um, but but the, that that was the one out of the three that are the most surprising. Um, we'll go we'll go to Joe Maddon next. I mean the Angels at at the beginning of the season I think is you know in May they were leading the AL West. I, I know they had they threw a no hitter against the Rays. All was well. Trout, Otani, Rendon, this great lineup that maybe they'd fixed the pitching, and all of a sudden I think they lost like ten straight games. Um and, and Joe Madden, you know, won a World Series in 16 with the Cubs, brought him back from the curse, and now he's got himself out of a job.
3: I think um it's a tough call between this and Girardi, but if anyone was built a bad deck, it was probably Madden, just in the sense of they overperformed a start. What is this, his second year? That was his second year with the Angels. Am I
1: correct? I think this was his third year.
3: It was his third year. Okay. Um it's just not a good roster. I mean, they really tried their best to bolster that pitching staff this year and they're the infamous team that drafted only pitchers. It's just um This is not a contending team in the AL West when you got the Houston Astros who are going to win that division again and should do so for years to come still I would expect. There's nothing you can really do. Yes. You have the two best players in baseball, arguably, but baseball is just not that sport. It really isn't. You need a team. You need a staff, especially. And it's just not his fault. And if anyone's to blame, it should be the GM. And the GM didn't even hire Madden. It was an owner move. So I think the GM's just taking his grievances out on someone he didn't want.
1: Yeah, the, the Angels – Their moves have been so strange, and I think they're kind of in the same situation as they were when they first gave Albert Pujols all that money because they kind of wanted to buy their way into contention, and and Pujols was not very good as an angel. Um, They're kind of in the same situation now. They gave Trout a whole lot of money. Um, They're in a situation now where they're going to have to give Otani a massive bag to get him to stay, and I don't think they're going to be able to do that. They've got Rendon on a huge contract and he's been injured a ton since going over there. So they keep falling into this. They're chasing the big name. They're chasing it with money to try and plug the holes that they have instead of, I guess, just building it from the ground up. And um, I don't know what it was about Madden that didn't work. I mean, I, I think I kind of agree with you that with that roster, it, it's really hard to, to win consistently with all the holes that they have. But um I don't know, something with Madden at at the end of his terms, because it got a little sour in Chicago with the Cubs too. He's either doing really well and taking the league by storm, or he's just doing stuff that's unconventional that people just seem to hate. Uh, It's weird. And I wonder if he's going to get another job after this.
3: He's, I think he's 68 now. He's, uh, he's really uh, past his prime. It's a little weird to call managers in their prime, but You could see it with Lasorda. La Russa. La Russa here with the White Sox. I don't think he makes it through the next year, let alone maybe this year. I I just think think we're moving in the new era of managers. And all sports recycle managers like no other. But he might have one team left maybe. But I think his years are coming to an end finally after his prominent upcoming with the Rays
1: yeah i mean unless i don't i don't know how many teams are going to have an opening i think i think you're right the white Sox. i think you're only looking at like maybe five teams that have openings depending on how things go and i don't i don't know that any of those teams would want madden like i don't think he's a good fit for toronto i don't think he would work in philadelphia either so um yeah i think he might just hang it up and you know head on to the next chapter of his life we'll head uh to the third manager and the, the actual first one chronologically that lost a job was Joe Girardi of Philadelphia, and I remember we talked like right after they had blown that huge lead in the ninth inning to the Mets, and we thought he was due to lose his job, and he ended up uh, getting fired shortly thereafter. The Phillies, kind of like the Angels, buying their way into contention, but they've got one of the longest playoff droughts in baseball.
3: Um, His replacement's doing well, as much as a manager can affect a baseball game. um, He seems like he's really made a change in that locker room made a change in the way the team is going about their business. I think um, it was surprising. I think Joe Girardi is a good manager. I think he shouldn't have ever lost his job in New York. And I was surprised he was on MLB Network for a whole year before he got a new job. I think um, – I don't know. I really don't know. I don't get that one, and I don't get how it really worked. I think that the Phillies are in the same spot as the Angels. The pitching is just not there. Bryce Harper, your best player, is hurt for many more weeks. And yet they're hanging around. They really are in a tough NL East. I think they might be able to sneak their way into a wild card spot with the extra wild card this year. I I don't know. The Phillies always seem to buy when nobody thinks they're going to buy. So it's going to be an interesting rest of the year for the Phillies. But talking to my friend from FSU, who is from Philadelphia, he seems to like, was it Rob Thompson? Is that his name?
1: I think so. Yeah.
3: Um, He seems to like him actually. I I don't know if he'll be a long-term fit, but he seems to uh, agree with his uh, pulling the arms out of the pen a little bit more than Girardi. I think um, new face, new culture, it'll give some teams a nice boost.
1: Yeah. They're five games over 500 and they're only a half game out of a playoff spot, basically at the all-star break. So they're as as in the thick of it as a team could possibly be. And, um, yeah, we'll see. Maybe if anyone could turn turn the bullpen around, it'll be you know some bench coach that we've never heard of. That wouldn't surprise me. Um, some other teams, uh, the Seattle Mariners were one that I really loved in the preseason. I thought was going to win the division. I thought this was finally their time to get back to October, and they were floundering. I think they were as low as like maybe ten games under 500. It was falling apart. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, they fired off 13 wins in a row. They're 19 and three since Father's Day. And um, they've got themselves eight games over 500. They're in a playoff spot right now. Uh, so, Seattle, maybe after we thought they're dead, I think they're back now.
3: I think, as true for any team to ever play baseball, they go as their pitching goes, and their pitching is starting to go. Specifically, their money man, Robbie Ray, has turned it around as of late. And they got some sneaky players that are really good. J.P. Crawford continues to improve year after year. And he is really showcasing his formerly highly touted prospect ranking. And then you got Julio Rodriguez. I mean, that guy's a stud. I'd love to see him win a home run derby, steal it away from uh, Pete Alonzo. But it's a good roster. It's a young roster. They're an interesting team in a tough tough, tough division. If there's any team in baseball I'd root for in the AL, other than the Rays, it's probably Seattle. I love their unis. I love the city. I just think um, they got a fun team. They really do. It's just, it took them a little while to get going. It took Robbie Ray some time to settle down in his new city. And they're firing off wins like crazy right now. And they're firing off close game wins they've been doing it for two three years now where they they just irk out these tiny wins and a win's a win
1: something about that team that might be special this year and I look forward to the the second half to see if it continues um give me another team that's that's either surprised you in a good way or has disappointed you that we haven't talked about that you thought maybe would be better
3: I think um St. Louis is an interesting team. They got a lot of youngsters over there that are really overperforming, you'd like to say, let alone they got the MVP favorite in the NL with Paul or is it, yeah Paul Goldschmidt having himself a crazy year so far. The issue is the NL Central is a little contested with the Brewers who are also slightly overperforming on the offensive side of things, I'd like to say. I think when it comes to disappointment, there's no better place, and I don't know if I'm supposed to be saying this, but there's no better place to look than the Chicago White Sox. I mean, this team is in shambles right now. One of their best pitchers is Johnny Cueto. The man was on a couch a month ago, or three months ago. I it, I don't know what they're going to do. I've heard rumors that they might sell. I've heard rumors that the thought of them selling is absurd. They're in a bad place. Cardinals are in a great place. And you were just there, I saw.
1: I was St. Louis and Kansas city last week. It was, it was crazy to see. I mean, the Cardinals are kind of hovering five games above 500, you know, they're, they're trailing the brewers in the division, but they pull 40,000 fans every night. They love that team. I knew St. Louis. I mean, I had heard they were the best fans of baseball. I'll probably stand by that. Uh, Cause they were incredible. And it, some, something about that city, something about that team—they've they, always got the people behind them. Albert Pujols, Yadier Molina, potentially Wainwright—all in their last years. I would love to see some kind of, uh, you know, fairy tale run. I don't know if they have it in them, but it would be uh, a great story. And then just to close it out, like our last thought: How about the Baltimore Orioles now? A game over five hundred.
3: It's got to be one of the most fun teams in baseball. I, I remember watching them before they went on this run, and I'm just—you just watch them play, and they're. They're an exciting brand of baseball. They they run, they pitch, their, their bullpen is sneaky amazing. For a team that nobody expected to be good, this bullpen is top tier. Of course, the thing with bullpens is if you got a good arm, you're gonna sell them while you still can. And this is a they're in a unique spot where they're probably gonna sell and buy. They're gonna buy someone with control. It'd be amazing to see them get soto. Imagine that. Um, <laughs> wow, I didn't even think about that. That would be hilarious. Be a great fit in that little short porch, uh, Crawford box out and right, too. They're a fun team, very fun team.
1: Yeah, I, I don't know if they could pull it off. I think Brandon Hyde, they've got it, themselves a good manager in him, and all these guys that they bring in Santander, Rugnetto, Odor it's just guys from all over the place getting it done. Uh, Urias, Ramon Urias, as well. It's just, it's a crazy team. Uh, I think maybe they finally finished this rebuild. They've got the number one pick, uh, I think, next week, which is absolutely insane that they're going to add another top player. Um, but, yeah, Max, it was great having you this week. I'm glad we could talk some baseball. It's been too long. And uh would love to have you in the studio maybe in early August because uh, it's going to be a great wrap to the season no matter what.
3: It will be. And I am love talking baseball with you, William. Final note. Keep watching out for my boy, Shane McClanahan. That Cy Young receipt looking real good right now.
1: I didn't believe you, man, but he is – I mean, the proof is in the pudding. He's leading in earned run average. He's leading, I think, in whip and strikeouts. Uh, he's the best – I think he's the best pitcher in baseball right now.
3: He, he better get that start on, what is it, Tuesday? He better yeah. get that start. I've heard they're going to do a Verlander-Kershaw start. No. I no. get it. They're old guns. They're both Hall of Famers. You've got to give it to McClanahan and Sandy Alcantara.
1: There's no there's no excuse for for Shay not to be starting that game, but we'll, we'll just have to wait and see. Uh, I hope it's a good wrap to the season uh, in Birmingham and everything's going well there, and uh, uh, thanks again for coming on.
3: Of course. Thank you for having me, guys.
1: Another great show in the books, another edition of the best hour of Sports Talk Radio. You're, you'll hear all week. It was great to be joined by my co-host, Jackson Bakich. We had our producer, Jack Oliaro, in a great second half with, with Max Rundy talking everything baseball. We've got a couple more uh, Zoom shows uh, this summer before we're back in studio. Next week, we'll be talking uh, some FSU football recruiting, kind of continuing our conversation from this week, and maybe some NBA news will surface uh, by the time of next week. So make sure to stick out for that at V89 sports on Twitter and on Instagram. And, uh, again, a reminder, just in a couple weeks, we'll be back in studio and then leading up to football season with Duquesne week, uh, at the end of August. So keep an eye out for that. You've been listening to Tomahawk talk on WVFS, Tallahassee, the voice of Florida state.